Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Friday, June 17th, 2022. And our top story today, how seniors can take and maintain control of their health and longevity. Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Andrew Duxbury is a professor at University of Alabama at Birmingham. Andrew, so great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. I'm Jerry. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to talk to you. And thanks for making time. We know you have quite a busy schedule at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. But let's talk about longevity. And, and we're all uh, Americans in general are, are living a lot longer. And that presents challenges and opportunities to improve health for the long haul. Uh, yes. Uh, if we look at the most common number that's used, which is life expectancy uh, in the United States, it's climbed significantly since most of us were children. It's up about uh, 12 years uh, from where it was, say, in the mid-1970s. And uh, it had continued to increase quite a bit. Uh, it's taken a bit of a nosedive in the last year or so, mainly due to the effects of the COVID pandemic. Uh, but it still remains well above what it has been for certainly most of U.S. history. Yeah. So, we, so we've got the miracle of drugs and, and, and health prescriptions and health care. I mean, it's, in this country, it's absolutely amazing. But there are some lifestyle factors that or lifestyle things that we can all do, whether we're age 20, age 50, like myself, or older, to extend our lives for a long period of time. Is that correct? There are a couple of things, and most of them are common sense and the kinds of things that our mothers taught us when we were growing up. Uh, there's no real magic about extending your lifespan. Uh, the first rule of thumb is choose your parents carefully. <laughs> because your genes are going to determine your future in a lot of ways, and you can only work with what you've got. Above and beyond that, it's good health habits. And from healthy babies come healthy children, come healthy older adults, come healthy middle-aged adults, come healthy old adults. And so putting patterns in place early in life are going to hold you in good stead as you move through the life cycle. And these include such things as appropriate diet. This does not mean that everyone has to become a vegan and macrobiotic, but <laughs> the kinds of things that your mother taught you about a balanced diet and not just Twinkies and Coca-Cola. Um, well, I, I got to say, I do, I do like occasionally having the Twinkies, maybe not the Coca-Cola, but let, let me ask you about the nutrition aspect of this. And you mentioned you don't have to be super vegan or even organic. It's about maintaining, uh, I guess you want to you eat enough food to maintain your body weight. You probably don't want to eat too much. Obesity is a big problem in right. this country. And, that, and that's, that's something that if you overeat and don't eat the right things, you would shorten your lifespan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Healthy, balanced diet that you were taught in your nutrition and health classes in school and what your mother tried to uh, kind of put on your plate is what's going to keep you in the best shape. We tend to overeat in our society. We eat more calories than our bodies really need. 
we base um, nutrition on about a 2,000 calorie diet a day, and that's what most kind of active mature adults roughly need. Um, 1,800 is a diet that would lead to slow, steady weight loss. 2,200 is what a younger person who's really active probably needs. Um, the kind of the number of calories you need to run in your body machinery is somewhere about 11 to 1200. And so it's the above and beyond that, that leads to, uh, too many calories <clears throat> going and turning themselves into fat cells, which is what our body stores energy as our bodies are Cro-Magnons. You know, we are not different from the people who are running across the plains of Europe chasing a mastodon with a spear. We are the same beings. And those individuals who lived in hunter-gatherer societies, uh, you know, were designed for, you know, periods of feasting and periods of famine. And they were designed to really, really want the kind of nutrients they weren't going to run across that often, which is why they taste so good to us. So that's salt and fat and sugar. Yeah. And, and, and you uh, mentioned r running around the plains of, of Africa. A lot of people aren't exercising these days, but even modest exercise, maybe a couple times a week, a period of a, a, a good period of time, maybe a walk, maybe some push-ups yeah. every once in a while. That's what I try to do. And pull-ups. That really can help extend your life Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. I'm sorry, go ahead. The very best exercise is walking. Our bodies basically walking machines. That's how we survived as a species and flourished. We couldn't run as fast as a cheetah, but we could walk for 20 miles long after the cheetah ran out of breath and catch up with it and catch it. And yeah. our slow, steady pace is what keeps our bodies in the best shape. So walking is the best thing to do by far as you continue to age and everybody should continue to do it. Uh, there are studies out there that show, for instance, that people who live in older cities, uh, cities invented prior to the automobile where the city was built around foot traffic and laid out for foot traffic rather than for car traffic, live longer than people who live in their newer cities because they are forced to walk and they are forced to go up and down stairs and they just do better. There's a study that was done that showed that people who live in Manhattan statistically live longer than people in Brooklyn. And the difference is in Manhattan, you walk in Brooklyn, you get in the car. Okay. And, and what about um, joints? And a lot of people like to run. You mentioned walking and uh, look, I, I'm a, I'm a rower. I like to row, uh, but walking when I run puts a lot of pain on my joints. Does is that something that when you, you should think about as you're transitioning and getting older, maybe dialing back the running, or maybe getting on an elliptical or some other type of machine that removes that pounding I, on the pavement. I yeah, I think it really depends on who you are. Some of us are born with joints that will never wear out. Some of us are born with joints that are going to wear out by the time we're 45 if we overstress them. Um, and we are walking machines who are designed to be able to have bursts of running, you know, to catch that cheetah at the very end. <laughs> um, 
but we weren't really designed to be distance running machines. And so that does put a lot of stress on the joints. I'm not telling anybody that they can't run or they shouldn't run if that's what they enjoy. Both my, my sister-in-law is a marathon runner and, you know, at the age of over 50, she continues to do it more power to her. Yeah. Um, but it is, it, it does get harder the older you get because the joints do start to have some breakdown from wear and tear and your aerobic capacity, your ability for your heart and lungs to deliver to the oxygen that your musculature demands goes down steadily with time. And you just eventually get to the point where your body systems just can't do it. Yeah. Well, Andrew, I need to take a very quick break and we come back. We'll talk more about what you can do to extend your life. And we'll also get into the importance of proper mental health. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Hopefully now you're interested in investing in stocks, which we at The Motley Fool believe is the single best way for folks like you and me to gain what could be truly life-changing wealth. That's why today we've got a special offer for new members. Since the service started, our average stock pick has returned over 600%, and that's over four times the return of the S&P 500. Don't regret not taking action right now. Just enter your email to get started. Welcome back. We're talking this morning to Dr. Andrew Duxbury of the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Andrew, thanks so much for sticking with us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, this is a, this is a fun conversation. I, these are all positive steps that people can take. And look, some of them, as you said, are things that our mothers and fathers and school teachers taught us. But a healthy reminder from every once in a while doesn't hurt. Let's talk a little bit about mental health. And this is one that I think we've all faced a lot of challenges with the COVID quarantine, 
financial stress, parental stress, familial stress, you name it, there's stress around every quarter. How important in your estimation is mental health to extending our longevity? Well, I think it's very important because we know that the mental and the physical are intertwined in all sorts of ways that we don't really understand. Uh, Rene Descartes did a great disservice to Western philosophy about 400 years ago when he came up with the idea of Cartesian dualism of there's a life of the body and a life of the mind and they're separate from each other. They're really not separate from each other. They, they intersect in all sorts of interesting ways. And stress on the body causes aging. And we know this from story from uh, studies of individuals who live in high stress environments, their physiologic body ages, and they oftentimes are about 10 to 15 years older than their chronologic age, if you were to actually study their organs and tissues. A lot of those studies have been done, for instance, in prisoners, people who spend a long time in prison. You have to add roughly 10 to 15 years to their chronologic age to figure out what their physiologic age actually is. Mm. Um, would, and, go ahead. I'm sorry, Andrew. Yeah. Um, in the current situation that we all find ourselves in with two years plus the pandemic, and while things have been better this summer, I am not convinced that we are absolutely through this whole mess yet. Uh, there has been an incredible amount of message taken in by our brains in regards to danger. And our brains, as I mentioned earlier, belong to Cro-Magnons. <laughs> and so our brains have got a very primitive piece to them that really stimulates the fight-or-flight response. And in the current situation that we find ourselves, we cannot fly and we cannot fight what's going on. So what's left is the third setting, and that third setting is play dead. So many of us are feeling absolutely exhausted. It will come home after a not terribly strenuous day and we'll sit on the couch and we cannot move. We can't make ourselves do anything. And it's because that primitive piece of our brain is saying it's so dangerous out there and you're going to have to run or you're going to have to fight. And all right, maybe you don't have to do it right now, but you're going to have to do it tomorrow. So save all your energy because the saber tooth tiger is coming over the hill. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, we all find ourselves there. Uh, yeah, what yeah. to do about it. Yeah, what, what can we do about it? And also, how does this tie to emotional health, right? And, and I want to tie, because there's what you're describing, but then there's also the emotional piece that we're, we're, social, we're social beings. We like to be around other people. We don't want to be isolated. Oh, we don't want to be lonely. Yeah. That first year of the pandemic, when we really couldn't be around each other, was by far the hardest because we are, as you said, social beings. We function within a network of mutual support of individuals, whether those are family, friends, job, church, whatever. But that's what keeps us on heel and keeps us as a healthy kind of human being. And when all of that is ripped away, we really become not very socially healthy and much more stressed than we might otherwise. We also live in a society where we hadn't had a lot of bad for about 70 years. 
the last big bad we really had was the combination of the Depression and World War II. And people over the age of 80, 85 who lived through that had a certain memory of how to survive that and a certain resilience. And they've done pretty well. But those of us younger, not having gone through that, didn't have a lot of coping skills. And we were asked to create all of those for ourselves very rapidly. So I found that my much older patients, people in their 80s and 90s, actually did better in the pandemic for the most part than my younger patients in their 60s and 70s because of that kind of phenomenon. Um, in terms of kind of keeping on an even keel at the moment, things are better. So, you know, I don't think anybody needs to stay locked up in their house at this point. You know, common sense, I wouldn't go into the mosh pit. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't go into the mosh pit for a lot of reasons. I have to say, probably walk out of there with yeah. a lot, with a lot but, of bruises. You know, getting going out on a picnic in the park out of doors with people and that's fine because you know numbers are low and it doesn't really spread in outdoor environments particularly. Yeah. Um, you know, there are things that can be done and can be done very safely, even if you want to be quite cautious. Uh, the other thing is turn off the news. People who sit there on the couch and watch 24-hour news coverage where it's nothing but bad coming in and messages of danger and messages of you know people screaming in their faces, it's really very bad for mental health. I mean, that my first prescription these days for an older person with high blood pressure is turn the news off. It works better than most of the pills. Yeah, and, and, let, and I agree with you on that. And I try to read the news used to be that we, in, when I grew up in Baltimore, we had the morning paper and the evening paper. So I have adjusted my news reading to the morning and the evening because there's nothing I can do except my job during the day. Last question for you, Andrew. Let's talk a little bit about chronic disease. Um, that's a big concern about, especially for our older population, for getting COVID for a second, uh, you know, getting cancer, getting some type of uh, respiratory issue. Um, that, you know, are there ways to avoid chronic disease, even if your genes are pre-programmed? Uh, no, I mean, everybody, if you live long enough, will eventually develop a chronic condition of some sort. I mean, we all hear about the 102 year old who's just fine and is, you know, running around. Well, the reason you hear about that person is they're the outlier. <laughs> There is yeah. going to be an occasional person, you know, that is on the very far end of the bell curve and they will, attention will, will be drawn to them. We will tend to internalize that as being the norm, but it's not. The norm is that if you make it to 75, 80, 85 or beyond, you will develop some sort of chronic diagnosis at some point. The most important way of dealing with chronic diagnosis is understanding that it is chronic. And that chronic disease techniques need to be applied. People try to fix chronic disease as if it is an acute disease. If it is something, well, I just take something for a week and it's all better. That right. doesn't work. And people who approach it with that kind of mentality will end up in a cycle of frustration and disappointment that will kind of worsen all of their medical issues going forward. Yeah, it's, it sounds like that coping that you were talking about, especially for maybe people in their 70s and 80s, maybe 90s who were dealing with the Great Depression, World War II, 
that's an important aspect of coping with chronic disease as well. Last question for Andrew, for you, Andrew, is uh, how important is it to go see a person like yourself, go see a doctor, go get your routine physicals, even as you age or even younger, it's important to get the blood work done, get your blood, blood pressure done, maybe catch problems before they become problems. Well, it kind of depends, again, on your, your heredity. I mean, if you know there is something that runs in your family that, that pops up you know, frequently, you should probably have a physician who understands that and who will help make sure that it is caught relatively early because a lot of these conditions can be ameliorated if they are found and understood early on. Um, in general, women are very used and socialized to visiting physicians from a young age due to gynecologic needs and pap smears and things of this nature. Uh, and they carry that with them throughout their life. And they are much more comfortable and familiar with the medical system than men are uh, all through their lifespan because of this. Um, generally, over the age of 50, even if you are in the best of health, it's a reasonable idea to check in with a physician who knows you on an annual basis, and that person will help make sure that you get any appropriate screenings, uh, get any blood work or anything that you might need, uh, watch you for anything that's sneaking up on you, make sure that you get any... Uh, medication that you might need help you understand what some of the chronic issues for is people in your particular age bracket are men are harder to deal with because they don't get that socialization into medicine and for the most part men under 50 unless they've developed a particular health condition or have a particular genetic predisposition don't need regular health care but again after about 50 it's reasonable for men to have a primary care physician and to have some sort of annual check yeah, it's interesting because I've always gone to get a routine physical, even since when I was a young man, 18, 19, also my, my teeth cleaned and checked, my eyes, you name it, my, even my ears tested. And, and I've kind of carried that with me. But, but, you know, I guess people need to get on board. And a lot of that, by the way, Andrew, is covered yeah. by, their, by their insurance policy, by their health care insurance. Yeah. Health insurance has shifted a lot in the last few decades towards a more preventive focus than it ever used to have. And so a lot of preventive screenings are covered under insurances that did not used to be in the past. Yeah. Well, Andrew, this is really great information. I want to thank you so much for joining us. And we really appreciate you stepping out of the office and uh, stepping, by, stepping into the studio and helping us with a little sharing some great information. Thank you so much, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Oh, I'd love to. Just any time, give me a call. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest, something you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, or visit our website and our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of VRN Weekly. We'll be taking a look back at some of our best segments and contributors for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic 
on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a tax doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.